we believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And let the people sing praises. That is such a precious offering because that means God's working on someone's life to help them understand that they should be sowers their whole life. And in losing their life, they find their life. And I pray for them. I pray for that. You can put me on record. Nothing sobers me up more as a pastor than a child's offering. Nothing. It's like the widow's might. To whom much is given, much is required. Me personally. I've learned to sow bountifully of my time, my energy, my emotions, my resources. And I need to lead by example. Pastor Chuck, it was said near the end of his life that almost everything he ever had, he gave back to the Lord. See, it's like when you're younger, you feel like you need it, like a safety net to be at ease. But when you get older, you realize, man, I need to get this in front of me and sow this bountifully. Two different perspectives. We do not want to be just self-justified in a religion of self-made religion. We want to have our hearts with God and we want to have our hearts completely with God. These guys are playing church and they're playing religion and they're lovers of money. What a tragedy. Don't let it be ours. The second thing we see in this passage is verse 16. Jesus said that the law and the prophets were until John. See, God's word throughout the Old Testament, the law and the prophets summarizing, you know, the historical books and the prophetic books of the Old Testament, everything pointing toward John the Baptist and the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And it was a revelation that the Pharisees understood because they believed the Old Testament. They just didn't really believe it. And Jesus said people are pressing in, and people were pressing in. People responded to the gospel. The church age was going to come within just less than a year. Pentecost, that Pentecost of that year, the Holy Spirit would be poured out, the church would be birthed, and a whole new people would exist on this planet, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, birthed in Jerusalem, expanding to the, to the ends of the earth to this day, and we are the extension of that. And so here Jesus emphasizes the revelation of God, progressive and clear, for a life of absolute faith. You see, the Pharisees had religion, they had position, they had power, and they had wealth. They made little religious laws so they could take money from old people and redistribute it in the name of God and then take it back and give it to themselves. They had all kinds of cunning, crafty things they did, and it looked smooth and slick. And I do suggest to you another thing that happened with the Pharisees with the the financial power they had and the religious power they had. The, the, The problem when with a lot of money, I would think, from observation, is you begin to think you can have whatever you want. 
Now, I don't have a lot of money. I've never had a lot of money. And I can tell you I've never aspired to have a lot of money. I have known people that have a lot of money. And I've studied people with a lot of money. And there are some very good people, men and women, who have been very generous with their money. Just like Abraham, right? Again, it's not about wealth or poverty. There's no virtue in either one of those things. But I have had many different wealthy people tell me different things about having money. You worry about people taking it. You never really know who your true friend is. How's that one? I never thought of that. Like, hey, when you got a ton of money, you don't really know who a true friend is. When you're poor and people are by your side, you know you got a friend. There's a friend that sticks closer to a brother, right? They come, people heard Jesus gladly. But there's just that danger of just thinking you can just have whatever you want without restraint. Why is it verse 18 is in this passage? Why is verse 18 here about divorcing your wife and marrying someone else? Isn't it the most random verse? Like seriously, as we're going through Luke, it's like so random. Like, wait a second. It's not even parentheses. It's straight up. He's, we're told these men are lovers of money. They're self-deceived. They justify themselves. God knows their heart. And then he says, hey, the law of the prophets, they spoke of me. John speaks of me. Everyone's pressing in with the kingdom. And you guys... You divorce your wife and marry another, you commit adultery. You, you divorce someone, you marry someone else's wife, divorce, you commit adultery. The contextually, it is reasonable to conclude that these men who had power and wealth treated women like they treated money, like cattle or property. You can just get a new wife like you get a new car or get an extra wife like you get an extra car, but you're a Pharisee, so you, know, you got to find some charge against your wife. You don't like how she cooked the meal. She talked back to you, gave you sass or whatever, and you put her away with your interpretation of God's word, and you just get another wife. Because after all, you have the money, you have the power, you're the boss, and who's going to tell you you can't? I'm sure there's lots of wonderful men with wealth who take very good care of their wives and love them and are one wife men. But obviously there's no shortage of men who have lots of money who trade in wives like they're selling property. I do believe that one of the sins of the Pharisees and their love of money, covetousness, caused them to covet other people's wives and put away their wives and take other people's wives. That is the best sense for me as a teacher of God's word, handling his word correctly. That is the best sense I can see in this passage because otherwise, why would this passage, this particular verse be here? And if that is so, it is even more. He condemned them for how they treated the elderly and now this would appear that he's holding them accountable for how they treated their wives and women. You ever notice too, like relationship with Jesus loves women, uh, enables women, empowers women. Spirit-filled men love women. We're told in the pastoral epistles, we love the older women like, like you treat them like a mother, and we love uh, younger women like our sisters, and we're, we're taught, godly men are taught to respect women. And the gospel has elevated the empowerment of women in its history of the church, wherever it's gone. Most world religions are very oppressive to women and dehumanize them. The legacy of the church is the respect for female. The planet's trying to, you know, force all this equality for women, which is actually 
a good thing. But I don't need the UN giving equal gender things to help me understand the value of a woman. Because God values women. And the man needs the woman and the woman needs the man. And that's what God says in his word. And I'm incomplete without a woman and a woman's incomplete without a man. Jesus said, have you not read how he made them male and female? The two shall become one. As incomplete as Adam was in the dawn of creation, I am incomplete without my wife. And as incomplete and as vulnerable as Eve was in the Garden of Eden without her husband, so is my wife. Two are better than one, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. That is God's plan. The husband, the wife, the Lord. That is God's plan. These guys, they were doing something else. What a warning. God's word is progressive and clear and absolute. It is to be believed and received and applied. That's what it's supposed to be done with his word. And you know, it, God's word is pure too, right? You know, I love in the Bible, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled, nothing's pure. You ever notice that? Like to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled, nothing's pure. These guys were defiled. The law and the prophets and John all spoke of Jesus and people come to the kingdom. God's word is the authority to guide our life for how we treat people, how we handle our resources, and how we live life. These guys were covetous, and they were, they were evil. We want to be content and godly and humble and to walk in purity. Life, Jesus said, I come that you might have life and that more abundantly. And he said, the things I've spoken to you, I've spoken to you that your joy would be full. God's word gives us joy and God's word gives us life. And you can enjoy every part of the journey when you just see it through the, the prism of God's eyes. On the worst day, you still see it the way you put on your spiritual glasses and you see your tragedy and your heartache the way the Lord sees it. And he comforts us as a God of all comfort. On the most beautiful day where you go like yesterday, just such a beautiful day, incredible day, very rare day in Southern California. I love the weather. I'm called the weatherman in the family. A lot of surfers are called the weatherman. I like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, south wind, coastal eddy, cut off low. Yesterday, we're driving in the sun out at noon to go spend time with Zippy, our granddaughter. I said, oh, this wind, we're at Magnolia and PCH. You go, this wind's not a typical Huntington wind. This is uh, an atmospheric disturbance right here. I had no idea there was thunderstorm forecast. I go, this is, this is honey. Look at this. This is a different, this is not the Catalina Howler. This is a different wind right here. By the time we went to Irvine Park, we were hanging out with Nora and Jade and Leah, and the cods are coming in, laying on a picnic table, looking up the sky through oak trees. I can't remember the last time I ever did that. I'm like, I cannot remember the last time I looked up at the sky and just watched clouds go by. You know, with faith in Jesus Christ, enjoying the Lord and his word over your life, the sky is a little bluer and the grass is a little greener and the autumn leaves have a little more color. And then the thunderstorm and the lightning storm that went on forever. Like, not seen one like that in decades in Southern California. And I'm out there taking pictures of whole neighborhoods, ooh and on. I'm just like, it's just got a little more pop and a little more power when it's the Lord and you know the Lord. It's just, my wife and I are listening to a Billy Graham message and he's talking about God being in the thunder and the lightning and all of a sudden our whole house rocks. I'm like, it's, <laughs> it works, right? You see, like, Every experience, when we believe God's word, 
is filtered through the personal fingerprints of God upon your life to the hairs on your head. These Pharisees were religious. Poor guys, they missed it. They missed it all. They missed it. So Jesus tells the story about the rich man and Lazarus. Now, in this part of the passage, it's interesting because the key point in this passage is the contrast of lives. The one with abundant wealth who, well, it says that sumptuously every day. (laughs) You ever think like, I wish I never had a bad day. Is there enough money to buy you never having a bad day? Well, of course not. Because all the money in the world won't stop a doctor telling you that you've got cancer in your brain or something, right? All the money in the world cannot stop a bad day. But this guy, it says that he lived sumptuously every day. He just, he had everything. He, he never went through the trials that produced character. He just never lost the farm and rebuilt his life. Sometimes losing the farm, rebuilding your life is the best thing that can happen to you. John Wooden's dad. John Wooden always talks about when his dad lost the farm in the Great Depression, what he learned from his dad, and what shaped his character. Considered one of the greatest teachers of all time, John Wooden, now with the Lord in eternity, the famous UCLA basketball coach. Sometimes you got to lose everything. Sometimes you got to give everything up. If you only live sumptuously, you wouldn't have much depth of character and you wouldn't have much to say to someone who doesn't live sumptuously. Paul said, I've learned to abound and I've learned to abase. There's something valuable in both those things. And Lazarus, he just wanted the crumbs from the table. When the one man was living sumptuously with every day, it was Lazarus who had the dogs for friends. And aren't dogs the most loyal friends too? Like, you know, you ever notice most homeless people have a dog? If I was homeless, I'd have a dog. I guarantee you. I'd have a dog and I'd take good care of that dog. That dog would be my homie. I mean, the dogs are licking his sores. Best friend of man. And if this is a real person, because he's got a real name, like we said, if Lazarus was a real person, he's got a real name, the dog's licked his sores, and he thought about, man, if that guy, if I could just dig through his trash, because all he wants is the crumbs from the table. Jesus told this story. I'm just relaying it to us as the church. If I could just have the crumbs. No one's going to come make, in this story, the rich man redistribute his wealth to, to this guy. He's got the choice, self-determination, And however Lazarus ended up homeless and a beggar, that's what he is, with the dogs at the gate, wanting crumbs to fall from the table. There is a contrast in their lives, a huge contrast. And there is also a contrast in their lives in eternity. And again, it's not the wealth of the rich man that goes against him in eternity. It's not the poverty of Lazarus that goes favorably for him in eternity. Because the Bible would make sure that it's the choices, it's the faith, it's the humility. And while it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God because wealth can deceive us, and it might be easier for the poor to enter the kingdom of God because in humility and brokenness we're more open to the Lord, nonetheless... We must each in our own hearts determine faith or unbelief toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. What will you do with Jesus? Do you believe he's the son of God? Is he a liar or a lunatic or a Lord? 
There's no virtue in either disposition. But what we see here is the equality of death. Verse 22 just so profoundly gets my attention. So it was that the beggar died and the rich man died. In the Bible, you hear the phrase, I go the way of all men or my time has come. The grave has the final say. And the wealth, the temporal wealth, always gets left behind. God wants us to look to him for provision, to provide for our needs practically. Give us this day our daily bread. But our Father in heaven, yours is the kingdom, the power, okay? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven through my life. So therefore, give us this day our daily bread. Help me to forgive those who've wronged me because those two things you can be sure of in life, that you're going to need forgiveness for your sins and forgive those who've wronged you, and you're going to need provision. One is practical, practical needs. The other is spiritual, to be forgiven and to have the capacity by the divine work of the Holy Spirit in our life to forgive others. And then the prayer wraps up, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So the grave is going to have the final say. They were... He died also. Look at the rich man also died. Yeah, it's an equalizer. You know, you go to the cemetery over here by Walmart, by Talbert and PCH. In those graves from numerous decades of recent decades, because I look at the, the stones when I read them when I'm in there, when I've been there for memorials, there's rich and there's poor buried across from Walmart. And every time people leave that Walmart and go out on Talbert, right by in and out they should think that is the end of all men. The rich and the poor alike, that's the end of all men. The young and the old, there's an end. One of the most fascinating things to my, in my mind is thinking that like all the people that could have ever been in the greatest war of all time, World War I, they're all gone. And each sequence of cataclysmic events that faced have affected the planet from war and veterans. Eventually, we're going to, all these greatest generation war two guys, they're almost all gone, the, the women too. And then it'll be the Korean vets, and then it'll be the Vietnam vets. It's just going to go that way. It's good for us to know that we're, we have an end. And, the, and to keep that, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, to keep that perspective. And eternity is the great equalizer. The grave is the great equalizer. But on the other side, we see the flip. And this is the thought we end with here tonight. In describing Abraham's bosom, considering the Old Testament to be the place where Old Testament saints went before Christ came, Abraham's bosom was the place of faith, evidently, as understood. Hades was the place of unbelief from the Old Testament. We're told when Jesus died on the cross, he went to Hades and he set the captives free. So there he resurrected the Old Testament saints. Matthew tells us that Old Testament saints were seen in resurrected form in Jerusalem. And they ascended on high. We're told now that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And we know Gehenna is the lake of fire for the future judgment of the human race. So we die, we go to be at the Lord, because we don't really die. The good shepherd comes for us. And we go to be at the Lord. And we're in his presence. Thus we'll be at the Lord. And we're all reunited in heaven, all the people of faith. And then we're told in Revelation, the sea gives up its dead, the grave gives up its dead, and there's the great 
judgment with Christ in Revelation 20 for the unbelieving world. So they seem to be on hold till the end of the age, but we go to be with the Lord. So in this story of the Old Testament in eternity, before Christ died and rose from the grave with the saints of old, it implies that there's a couple of very important things. One, the beggar is comforted. He's in a good place. He's comforted with Father Abraham. The rich man is in torment. Verse 23 says, being in torments. Verse 24, he says by his own confession, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham says to him in verse 25, the good things have come back on the, on the, uh, the beggar, Lazarus, but evil things came on the rich man. He's comforted and you're tormented. It's the flip. It's the flip. Enter by the narrow gate. That leads to life. Wide and broad is the path that leads to destruction. destruction. The grave and the next dimension is the flip. It all gets flipped. In other words, it's the opposite. What is justified before men and deceives men, God knows the heart at the beginning of this passage, and in eternity, it's all set straight. There, I've said this many times. There's not one injustice that's ever happened in time in the human experience that will not be made straight in eternity before the throne of God. So any injustice you've endured, God has a plan in it. There's no injustice. No human being will ever be able to say before the Lord in eternity, you allowed an injustice that you didn't make right. Faithfulness, sovereignty, holy is the Lord. The song we used to sing in the 80s, judgment and grace, holy is the Lord, with the women's echo behind it. God will make it straight. No one gets away with anything. And we're either saved by faith through, we're either saved and going to heaven through faith in Jesus Christ, being born again of his spirit, and following the Lord and, and letting him work in our life to produce the character of Christ in our life and to obey what he's called us to do in our life. And life might be tough, begging for crumbs. But the world's going to go its way. And Jesus said they lord it over one another, but it's not so with you. We're called to be the servant of all. And they're going to live in luxury and they're going to do these things, but they're going to step into eternity and they're going to give an account. And there's no redo which is really incredible to think about because there's a great gulf, verse 26, fixed. And the Bible makes clear it's appointed to men to die once. And there's no second chances. There's one life. Or as the great Jim Elliot said, only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. We, we're entrusted with the stewardship of our life, which I talked about last week. And we have one chance to live it. We can never go wrong being all in for the Lord and living it by faith, day by day, depending upon the Lord for the things he has for our life. And just let him correct us, reprove us through his word, the law and the prophets, right? Uh, and it's going to be straight in eternity. There's no, there's no redo. There's a great gulf. There's no coming back. There is either glory or there's gnashing. There's no ambiguity. Our culture likes ambiguity in a gray area. But again, with the Lord, we know there's no ambiguity. There's light and there's darkness. There's heaven, there's hell. There's glory and there's gnashing. There's justification, there's condemnation. There's being found in Christ, the second Adam, or being condemned with Adam, the first Adam. There's life and there's death. And whatever this journey looks like 
as we see it in time, space, and matter, in eternity, it's all straightened out. And this story reminds us of that. It's a, remind us, it's a reminder to all of us to choose wisely our decisions for our personal life, <clears throat> to choose wisely over our resources, and to stay on track. He reminds us to sow bountifully and to sow beautifully the things of the kingdom. And as we sow bountifully and beautifully the things of the kingdom, we will be those who greatly anticipate the coming kingdom. I'm going to say that one more time. We're going to pray. This story reminds us to sow bountifully and beautifully of our lives for the kingdom of God. And in so doing with our treasures in heaven, we will joyfully and with great anticipation be excited when his return comes. Where your treasure is, our heart will be also. That's how we're meant to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. There's a warning, we heed it, and there's an application, we want to obey it. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed.